Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church. I'm so glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Greg Brady. I'm the pastor of Hope Church. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet you after the worship service. Um, so please stick around a few minutes. Turn open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going through the Lord's Prayer, and we are looking at the different sentences and the phrases of the Lord's Prayer. Thank you, Pierre, for leading us in the Lord's Prayer uh, during the morning prayer. If uh, this is not something that you have in your memory, this is a good opportunity to, to learn the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Jesus doesn't give it to us as this formulaic, you know, here are the words that you must say when you pray. Don't mess it up. That wasn't his intent. But he, he gives us things to pray for. Um, and as we go through the sermon series, I'll uh, let you know one meaningful uh, way that I, I kind of think about the Lord's Prayer, um, putting it all together. But let's read uh, through it together, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Uh, today we're going to go through some of the, um, I think, common questions that we ask when we pray. What is prayer? Uh, why do we pray? Does prayer make a difference? Does it change? Actually, does it change the course of events? Um, does, it, does it make a difference? Why can we pray? Things like that. Um, how can we pray? Uh, so let me, let me get into what is prayer. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Um, and I'm going to begin with this statement and see what you think. Prayer is requesting from God. Uh, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, every, every part of it except for the very first sentence is a request. It's a request after request after request. Uh, prayer includes praise. I know we have many, many faithful prayers in our congregation. Um, and, and, and those of you who God has really developed this into an enormous spiritual blessing and habit in your life, um, you know, as, as I put this on the board, prayers are a request from God. I'm wondering if you're thinking, hmm, is that really what it's about? Because prayer, it's, it's a time we can praise God. Is that, it's a time that we can give thanks to God. It's that for sure. Prayer is a time when you can talk to God. You can tell God about your day if you would like. But I think that prayer is essentially more than that as well. That it is essentially requesting from God. It's a request. Even if the request is, Lord, teach me as I read your word. Or, um, Lord, help me to revere your name. Even if it's a request like that, prayer essentially is a request. So let me ask you, why can we pray? How can, or why can we pray with confidence if we're requesting from God? Um, how can we be confident in those requests? Because prayer is, prayer is not just 
pipe dreaming up to God, right? It's not just lobbing up these, these requests and wondering, well, I don't know if God's going to be able to do anything about this. We can pray with confidence. Where does that come from? Well, here's where it comes from. Um, the only way that we can pray with confidence is that the one who hears our prayers is in charge. Thy kingdom come, Jesus says. We can pray because the king is in charge. One reason we begin our prayer uh, by this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is to remind us that we are coming to a king. So the Lord is king of kings. He is absolutely sovereign over the world. He can do something. I mean, how many times have you been on the phone with customer service and you have a complaint and you know the person that you are talking to on the phone cannot do anything with your issue and you make that request and you know what's going to happen. You, you know the person's going to say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not in the position to do anything about that. Well, please connect me with someone who can. And then you're put on hold for about an hour and you wait and you wait and you wait. But with prayer, we go right to the top, don't we? We go to the king himself. We go to the king. What do you say when you are in the presence of a king? I mean, you could shoot the breeze with God and talk to him about the weather. Or you can ask him. You can make a request of the king. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask God, God, the king says, ask me, ask me. So the other reason we pray your kingdom come, I think, is to remind ourselves that ultimately we want God's will to be done. And when what we want would actually be to our harm, we don't, we don't know if it would be to our harm, but if what we want, God knows, that's, that would be to your harm. We want God to say no. We, we know we are rather short-sighted on things. And so, God, please exercise your veto power if what I'm praying for is not going to be the best thing. Um, but if we're praying for God's will to be done, then one of the questions that people often ask is, why do we need to pray in the first place? I mean, it seems that God would bring about his will anyway. That's what kings do. They bring about their will. And God is the king of the universe. He's going to be pretty committed to bringing about his will. So why do we need to pray in the first place? Another question that's similar to that is, does prayer God change God's mind? Can we really change God's mind? If, if God is directing one, one thing to happen and, and we pray for another thing, will, will God change his course? You know, there's, there's a story of, of King Hezekiah, about King Hezekiah. Um, and uh, King Hezekiah, he has a mortal illness. It will end in death, he's told. Um, the Lord says you're going to die. 
He will not recover. That's what he hears from the Lord. And Hezekiah weeps, and he prays before God. And God hears his prayers and sends the prophet Isaiah back to Hezekiah to tell him, I have heard your prayers, and I've seen your tears, and I will hear you. That's an amazing story from the Old Testament. And then there's those stories when God tells Moses, I'm going to destroy my people. You know, they're, they're rebellious. They're in the wilderness, and they're just rebelling against God and worshiping these idols. And God says, I'm going to destroy them. And Moses says, oh, please, God, please do not destroy your people. And God relents, and he doesn't destroy his people. He hears Moses' prayers for forgiveness. So how do we make sense of those stories? Is that changing God's mind? Can prayer really do that? Well, that's a big issue for sure. I think one of the responses is that sometimes when God speaks, it is to bring about a response from us. Uh, prophecy often has that in mind. Um, you know, there'd be a judgment by God that's given. You know, now you're done for. For example, uh, Jonah going to Nineveh 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Now you're done for. That's the message. But actually, that prophecy was to urge a response from, his, from, from people. So God isn't changing his mind. Sometimes God is speaking so that we will change our mind. And quite honestly, we don't want God to change his mind and, and you know, give us promises and then sometime later say, oh, you know, never mind on that one. I changed my mind. You know, truth be told, there have been times when I have changed my mind or Melissa and I, we've changed our, our mind with some, you know, something, some family event. We've driven our kids crazy by doing that. Um, you know, maybe a trip to the ice cream store. That's promised to the kids. And, you know, it just turns out we won't be able to, to, ha- to go, you know, for whatever reason. Um, all kinds of circumstances, or maybe I'm just worn out and too tired to go, and so I tell the kids, you know, we promised this, but I'm sorry we can't go to the ice cream store. They're like, why? Well, you know, there's a big fire, and that ice cream store just kind of burned down to the ground. Um, Sorry. (laughs) That's a lot better than, well, I just changed my mind, kids. Um, We we don't want God to change his mind, right? Um, God makes promises to assure us and to show us his character. Thank goodness he keeps his promises and he doesn't change his mind on those things. And God knows the best plan, and we don't want him changing his mind on the best plan happening. He doesn't lay out a plan and, and let it play out a bit and, and then say, oh, that's not working too well, let me go to plan B. That, that doesn't happen. God, God doesn't need to change his mind because the plan that he lays out is the right plan. It would be terrifying to live in a universe where God is always changing things because either they're not working out or he's just changing his mind. No, God is in complete control. And he will bring about his perfect will. So then, therefore, how does prayer make a difference if we're not changing God's mind on things? Why do we pray if, you know, if God's going to do what God's going to do? If we believe that God is sovereign, well, why do we pray? Well, because he's sovereign over your life as well, and God has put a prayer in you to pray in his sovereignty. He's put a prayer. He's going to move you to pray. He's, he's given you the Holy Spirit 
to guide you in prayer. And he wants to answer your prayers. I mean, really answer them. He wants to rule this universe by listening to your prayers. Isn't that amazing? God wants to move through his spirit and urge us to pray. So when you pray, when you pray something, God was already thinking of that thing that you're going to ask for. And he put that prayer in you. He put a spirit in you so that God could answer your prayer and bring about that great future. That's why we pray. See, God is committed to this little community of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, a little community that he has created. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 8. You might uh, remember it. What happens when we don't know what to pray for? You remember what God says? Or what the Apostle Paul tells us what God says? When you don't know what to pray for, God says, don't you worry, because my Holy Spirit is in you, and my Holy Spirit will pray in groans that you don't even understand. But my Spirit in you will pray. Now, why does God do that? Why, If we don't know what to pray for, why doesn't God just, well, you know, I'll do it anyway. I know what you're thinking, I don't, you know. Instead, God says, no, 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 I'm going to put my spirit in you, and my spirit will pray on behalf of you because God is committed to this little community of the kingdom where he listens. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he listens to that community. And he brings about the future through the prayers within this community. And then God, the amazing thing is he invites us to be a part of this community of the kingdom, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then his children, you, me. He invites us to be a part of this community of the kingdom and urge us to pray. And he honors this community and the, the prayers of this community by listening to them and answering them. God wills us to pray and works through our prayers. I think if we were to think, well, how does prayer work? What is prayer? I think, I think that gets at it. God wills us to pray. And then he works through our prayers. And one of the verses that helps us to see this is John chapter 15, uh, verse 16. And in your notes, uh, I have some fill-ins on this verse. I want to go through this verse and, and just think about it for a second. So John 15, verse 16, Jesus says to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus says, I chose you. It's my will. My will is being done. I chose you. Why did I choose you? So that you could go and bear fruit by you asking things in prayer in my name so that I could then answer those prayers and then bring about that good fruit. I've chosen you to pray so that I can listen to your prayers and then bring about that good fruit. That's amazing. So when we pray, your kingdom come, that isn't a prayer we pray so that we can just get on with everything else in our life and, and let go, God go about bringing in his kingdom kind of in the background. We're doing all this other stuff, and God, we're trusting you're bringing in, our, bringing in your kingdom. No, 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 no. We, 
we get to work with God. We look for where we see things broken. God wants us to pray against the darkness that we see. Look at this scripture from Colossians chapter 1. God's kingdom stands opposed to the kingdom of darkness. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Through our prayers, we play a real part in what God is doing to bring people out of darkness. His kingdom is advancing against the darkness. We get to see those in need and pray and act to bring them out of the darkness. Okay, I want to release junior high youth to um, keep discussing this part of the Lord's Prayer. Everyone else, we've talked about why we pray. Uh, I want to look at three truths about God's kingdom now. Um, Truth number one, God's kingdom grows spiritually in your heart. You know, it's wrong to think about God's kingdom as like a political kingdom. Um, Pontius Pilate was, was questioning Jesus about being a king. Do you remember what? Jesus said about his kingdom to Pontius Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not from this world. It's it's not like a political kingdom. Um, It's not some nation. Now, God uses nations. God uses local governments. However God wants to, to bring about his will, God can, can use governments and political kingdoms to do the work of his kingdom. But God's kingdom is not a political kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observable signs. So it's not like some you know, flag flying in the Capitol building. You know who's in charge by looking at the flag. Um, that's, that's not exactly how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom, instead, Jesus says, is within you. It's, some, it's a spiritual um, thing that God is doing in our hearts. Um. God's kingdom advances. God, God advances uh, His kingdom in your heart. To enter God's kingdom, a change must play, uh, take place in your heart. You know, if God's kingdom were a physical kingdom, all to, to live in God's kingdom, all you'd have to do is move there, right? To move, to live in the kingdom of Texas, you just have to move here. That doesn't work that way with the kingdom of God. Instead. To enter God's kingdom, God has to change your heart. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, uh, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So you see, there, this, this change has to take place in our heart where we want to do the will of God. And without that change taking place, without wanting God's will to happen, well then, if... I pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's just lip service, right? So this prayer has, has to come from a, a changed heart. Second truth about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is sure, but it's not automatic. Now let me explain what I mean by that. 
Um, God's kingdom is sure. If you like investing in sure things, God's kingdom is where to put your investment. It is sure it will happen. Uh, Perhaps the clearest statement on this is a familiar prophecy from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Often read it around Christmas time. Uh, Verse 7 says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Talk about the Messiah that's coming. Establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So it will happen. It's a sure thing. And it will never end. So this kingdom was established in the first coming of of Christ. And it will then be brought into uncontested fullness in the second coming of Christ. And in between those two comings, God's kingdom is advancing over the dominion of darkness. An example of this is when Jesus uh, was casting out demons. And one of the things that he said in Matthew 12, verse 28, If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's advancing. Whenever a demon was cast out, that was, that was the advancing of the kingdom of God. So it's sure. But it isn't automatic. Again, it's not that thing that happens in the background and everyone else is doing their own thing and God says, yeah, y'all do your own thing. I'm going to just automatically make my kingdom happen because God uses us to bring about his kingdom through our actions and through our prayers. God uses his people to help advance the kingdom. In the close of his letter to the to the Colossians, uh, Paul gives this great term that we absolutely have to realize about our identity as Christians. Um, Paul writes, uh, just kind of bringing out some different individuals, Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, Jesus. This is Colossians chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greeting. Uh, These are the only Jews among my, and listen to this, what Paul says my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a great comfort to me. So we are co-workers of the kingdom of God. You are a co-worker for God's kingdom. So when I say that the kingdom of God isn't automatic, I mean the way that God is pleased to advance his kingdom is through Christians living out their faith, being co-workers. Praying, thy will be done. And when we pray, thy will be done, we're meaning, thy will be done in my life, Lord. Help me to be a co-worker of your kingdom. And that means you just can't sit by and say, I don't need to do anything. Uh, I can just live for my own little kingdom. No, God says, I want your little kingdom to be a part of my much bigger kingdom and what I'm doing. If you were to describe life in God's kingdom and the actions of a citizen of God's kingdom, what comes to mind? Let's talk about qualities of God's kingdom. So I'm going to look at three scriptures that describe the qualities of God's kingdom because ultimately these are, these are actions or these are attributes, qualities of ourselves that we want to pursue and then live out as co-workers of God's kingdom. So I want to bring up three scriptures. Uh, the first is Jeremiah 9.24. We looked at this last week. Uh, we would expect life in God's kingdom to look... Um, a lot like the king himself. 
the king reveals himself, Jeremiah 9.24. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So I want you to listen for qualities of God's kingdom. Kingdom, kindness, justice, righteousness. Next verse, Psalm 89, verse 14. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Let me give you another example of qualities of the kingdom. In in Daniel chapter 4, God wants to use King Nebuchadnezzar and his political kingdom to do the work of God's kingdom, to do the work of God's purposes. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man on the planet during this time. He was the king of Babylon, and he was getting too prideful. And Daniel, whom God gave much influence over the king, uh, came to King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is what he said. Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Atone for your sins with righteousness and your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed so that your prosperity may be prolonged. So these are qualities of the kingdom. What what have you noticed? What are some of the, the concepts or the words that we see throughout these scriptures? Well, righteous. And, and, and God's kingdom being about justice, where the, where the right thing is, is done and, and it's instituted with, with justice. Um, mercy to the oppressed, mercy to those in need, kindness. These are the qualities of God's kingdom. Where anyone who is powerless and being used by someone else for selfish purposes um, or someone who is disadvantaged receives righteousness and justice and mercy and kindness. So here's a statement about God's kingdom. God's kingdom is where God's right acts come to people in need. And as we are co-workers of God's kingdom, we must keep this in mind. Think about those right acts and think about the people in need around us so that we can help bring about those right acts. So, look for where you can bring about that good wherever you are. Now, how do you do that? I mean, it's not rocket science and, and, and essentially, right? You just look for needs and see how you can meet those needs. Look for someone in need, shift your focus to them, and then you give time and resources. Then you work on being an avenue of God's kingdom for, for someone. Um, someone, put it like this, you be heaven for that person. If the, the kingdom of God is you know, the attributes of God and, and, and heaven, well, then you want to bring heaven. You want to be heaven for someone. You bring about God's right acts. You... You do this wherever you go, in your home, in your office, your school, your hangouts. If you need to get some other people to help you, you go grab them and say, hey, let's do this together. Think of that story of, of, 
the, the paralytic that was lowered down to Jesus through a hole in the roof by four friends. Well, how did that come about? Probably one of those friends said, hey, let's go help our, our, our friend out, but I need your help to lower him down. So he grabbed his friends to, to help bring God's kingdom to that individual. So that shift of our focus is important. See, we all have our own little individual kingdoms, and they're not bad. But they can get in the way of us being a co-worker of God's kingdom. So we need to maintain the right focus and, and shift our focus. Um, you know, Jesus told a story one time about a man who was beaten up and bloodied on the road. And two separate religious leaders saw the victim all bladed up, and they rushed on their way without stopping to help. See, they had their own little kingdoms. They were busy with their own, uh, likely legitimate preoccupations. But they were distracted them from being a co-worker of God's kingdom. And a third man looked, and he shifted, and he gave. He saw that beaten man, and he... He was able to be a co-worker for the kingdom of God in that instance. He gave his time and his money to provide comfort for the beaten man. That is, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So I want you to be praying about God's kingdom. Uh, Think of Jesus' words that we can ask for something in his name, and he will do it so that we will bear fruit. And I've been thinking about that level of confident prayer that Jesus wants to do something in us for his kingdom. And, and ask a bold, courageous, ambitious prayer. I was talking to my son Ryan this past week. Uh, Stephen Hughes, our youth director, had an activity with the students on prayer, and he they made this little kind of prayer tool. Um, and Stephen asked the students to think about a unrealistic prayer, you know, something that only could happen if God was behind it. And, um, you know, Ryan told me about his unrealistic prayer, and, and uh, you know, it didn't quite go down like this, but it should have gone down like this. Hey, Dad, we're going to have to widen our driveway. Why? Well, because we're getting a Lamborghini, because that's my unrealistic prayer. And, and before that, he said, Dad, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure if I really understood what the unrealistic prayer was, or what that was about. Well, it's about bringing about not, I told him, you know, not that Lamborghini that you want, but that thing that only God could do. And I think God wants us to pray those unrealistic prayers, the ambitious prayers for his kingdom, and trust that God will bring those about through our prayers and through our actions. So take a second. Um, and I want you to think about that prayer. Maybe think of someone in your life that you know is going through a struggle and you want to reach out and be a coworker of God's kingdom for them. Or maybe someone that is searching for truth, maybe searching for God, but maybe putting up some, some resistance and some barriers. And God is asking you to be persistent in praying for that person and even speaking to that person. Think of that ambitious, unrealistic prayer that you can pray for God's kingdom 
You know, Jesus prayed that unrealistic prayer on the cross. He prayed, God, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. He prayed this unrealistic prayer that God would forgive the sins of the whole world. And your sins and my sins through Jesus' death on the cross. And Jesus prayed, My Father, if, if this cup of your wrath can be taken from me, um, please, let's do that. But not my will. Instead, your will be done. And God's kingdom in his mind and in his heart. And we can do that as well. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are the king. Um, you are the king. And as the, the old hymn goes, big and bold petitions may we bring, because we're coming to you, the king of the universe. Um, help us to pray in faith, believing that you're acting and moving, and want to act through us as well to bring about your goodness to this world put people in our paths so that we can reach out and be co-workers of your kingdom for them. We pray for your will to be done, even when we're not quite sure of what that means or why things are happening, but we trust that the king of the universe, the good king who is sovereign, that you are bringing about your good purposes and your plans. And we thank you for our Savior, who did not hold back in his own prayers and prayed for our forgiveness and died for us. And we give you thanks and praise in his name. Amen.